Welcome to the very first episode of The Anxious Hour, where we explore concepts at the intersection of psychology, culture, and social relationships. Don't think I forgot we were all psych majors freshman year of college, okay? I didn't forget. Now, somehow, y'all ended up with business degrees, but fret not. This is everything you missed, and then some. My goal, as your lovely host, Ara, is to provide you with a series of regular, regular, relatable conversations around some of social science's most practical and popular theories and concepts. We'll use everyday situations, Hollywood headlines, because y'all do love the tea, and my personal favorite, Dear Anxious Hour letters from you. I'm going to help you understand why you and your good girlfriends fight on every single girl's trip. I'm going to help you understand why you subconsciously prefer to date underperforming and underachieving men. No shade, sis. I'm going to help you understand why your absent father of 30 plus years is suddenly calling to wink, wink, reconnect. I want to help you understand more of what's going on in your world and why you respond the way you do to it. I'm uber excited about this new venture and even more excited to have you all here with me. And I am specifically speaking to every last one of you that has been bullying me about starting a podcast. Here you go, you punks. I'm kidding. (laughs) Without further ado, let's get right into episode one. King Charming and the Paisley Print Prince. First, let's set the stage with a letter from a longtime reader turned new listener over in Escondido, California. Hey, girl, hey. (laughs) Her letter reads something like this. Dear Ara, I've been a huge fan of your writing for a while now, and I'm reaching out with an issue that's been plaguing me. Here it goes. I am a pushover. And it's bad, child. It never fails. I leave one situation and I swear I'll stand up for myself with the next man. Then here comes some 6'5 Cameroonian saying all the right things, sis. That sounds oddly specific. And suddenly <laughs> I'm right back where I started being told what I can or shouldn't wear asking permission to spend my own money, says, are you okay? Making copies of my door key, even when I know it's way too soon. I'm scared I might be a pick me. I don't know what it is. I just always find myself letting my own needs slide and losing sight of my own identity each and every time I'm in a relationship. It's frustrating and I'm tired of losing and relearning myself over and over again. I desire a relationship where I can maintain my sense of self while still nurturing that deep connection with my partner. Or is that even realistic? Ara, am I a pick me? Give it to me straight. (laughs) Your advice means a lot to me and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Signed, a little too easygoing. Oh, sis, bring it in. (laughs) Bring it in, bring it in. For a quick embrace, bring it in. Woo! Let's begin. Interestingly enough, the next segment of this show deals with the subject of boundaries in great depth. So I encourage you to stay tuned to hear what all I have to say about that. Instead, I'm going to speak to something else that caught my attention in your letter. You talked about needing permission or better yet approval to wear certain things. And if I'm not mistaken, to make certain financial decisions as well. What I hear you saying is when you're single, your priorities, your preferences, your practices, etc., are whatever you decide them to be, right? When you're single, you're the authority over your life. Excellent. What I also hear you saying is when you're partnered, 
your priorities, your preferences, your practices, etc. They ultimately yield to the priorities, preferences, and practices of your partner. And I have to say, what you're describing sounds a lot like submission. Now, don't don't jump on me, girls. <laughs> I know submission has been sold to us all, and I really like to deal in the details. So let's just start with the actual definition of submission and y'all know i'm gonna kick it to the kid webster on this one so submission is the condition of being submissive humble or compliant the act of submitting to the authority or control of another they offer us a few synonyms to consider right and by synonym we mean the same same meaning similar meaning those synonyms include compliance subordination conformity give in and surrender Ladies and gentlemen, this is submission. Now, they, and when I say they, I'm talking about the P people, okay? <laughs> they will tell you that this term is used both in a literal and metaphorical sense. They'll tell you that when they express their desire for a submissive partner, they don't mean submissive in the way that a dog, you know, submits to the will of its owner when they say bark, you bark, when they say sit, you sit. That's not what they mean, no. <laughs> they don't mean submission in the way that Christians submit their life to Christ, no. That's not what they mean. They'll tell you that the definition changes when they love you, which is laughable. They will swear that in relationships, what they mean is that they want someone who will defer to their partner's needs, desires, decisions. They don't mean it literally. They don't mean a loss of personal autonomy, a reduction of self-worth and an obligation to put yourself second for the rest of your life. No. <laughs> Submission is about mutual respect, wink, wink, and a, and a desire to work together harmoniously, right? Right? No, <laughs> not at all. Listen, words mean things, okay? Shout out to Crystal. Listen to me. Some things are mutually exclusive, and that simply refers to a situation or a set of events that cannot occur at the same time. Okay, example, if you are inside the room, you are not also outside of the room, no matter how much you wrestle with the language. If you are up in the air, you are not also down on the ground, and that's okay. <laughs> Again, mutually exclusive. Now, when we're talking about mutual submission, we have to recognize how oxymoronic the language alone is. Submission isn't just about accepting a lower status for you or for me, for myself. It's about assessing an elevated status to my partner. So even if I'm on stage with Beyonce, we're not on the same level, right? I can't surrender to your authority and also believe that my authority is equal to yours. Where there is equity, submission is useless. If my partner and I are on the same level, neither of us has to yield to the will of the other because we both respect the opinions and preferences and practices of the other party. And that doesn't mean that each of us gets our way each and every time there's a decision that needs to be made on the table, but it does mean that both of our opinions and our input is on equal playing field when it reaches the table. No one's giving in to the will of the other. That's not how equity works. So this is not to say, say no to submission. This is to say, however, as a community of women who have all been sold the same assignment that we should all desire to play second fiddle to our partners, this is a tap on the shoulder to say, hey, it sounds like what you're saying is I'm partnering with men who prefer submissive partners. And as I have experienced submission in real time, I did not enjoy it. 
And that is okay. That is actually great. That is something you want to know about yourself so that you can make better decisions as you navigate the dating scene. So be careful not to you know, fall victim to the wordplay of men. <laughs> they will set it up just to get what they want out of a situation. If you don't enjoy the state of existing as a second class citizen in your own household, no shade to the girls who really love submission, then that's okay. Find a man who doesn't need to be at the top of the food chain in order to feel like his opinions and his input is valid and valued. You got me? All right. <laughs> I appreciate you so much for being willing to go first <laughs> and put it all out there and really just let us dig into your situation so that we can have a teachable moment. I appreciate you. I hope that you stay tuned to episodes two and beyond. And if you listener over there or reader over there have a question that you would like to submit to the anxious hour, don't hesitate to do so. Leave a comment or send a message right through your podcast streaming platform or connect with me on any social media platform where you will find me at That's Just Aura. I value your input and your participation totally makes this podcast richer and more relevant and I just can't wait to hear what you have to ask. Welcome back to the Anxious Hour. I am still your lovely host, Aristotle, and up next, we have a segment that I am sure is bound to resonate with so many of us. I call this portion of the show, So I Asked a Single Mother. It's no secret that society has a way of speaking on behalf of marginalized individuals. And it's my opinion that nobody knows this better than single mothers. Our experiences are often smothered by bias and stereotypes and misconceptions. But isn't it time that we allowed single mothers to tell their own stories? In this segment of the show, I'm handing the mic over to single mothers to do just that. And we'll share our triumphs, our challenges, and the unique wisdom that comes from parenting alone. So join me as I celebrate the resilience and the power of single mothers. And let's start listening, and I mean really listening, to the voices that deserve to be heard. So today, one question at a time, we're exploring the experiences the perspectives and the voices of these extraordinary women. And not only is it a window into our world, it's a chance to understand, to empathize, more importantly, to learn. So today we begin with our first question from a reader turned listener in London, England. And she asks the following, what advice do you have for navigating dating and relationships while being a single mother? All right, sis, you're hitting heavy today. And being that this is our first episode of The Anxious Hour, I think it's only right that I tackle this topic. So let's do it. Before we begin, here's a brief disclaimer. The following views and opinions are solely those of the individual sharing them and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the producers, the public, your therapist, or this platform. First, let's start with a few basic understandings. One. Dating is perfectly normal adult behavior. Two, dating is perfectly normal adult behavior for single mothers. And three, single mothers should not be shamed for dating. Okay, so let's start there and then let's move on. So I've only got one rule for single mothers when it comes to dating and it's probably gonna lose a lot of people. And that's okay. My rule is the following, no boundaries, no boo for you. Very simple, baby, if you don't have boundaries, dating as a single mother especially should be the last thing on your mind. 
we're about to have a difficult conversation, especially for me as someone who has navigated the dating scene as a single mother of over 10 years. And in that 10 years, I've learned a great deal, but nothing more daunting than this. Society is wrong about single mothers and society has no desire to get it right. They're not interested in a rebrand. They're not interested in hearing what we have to say. They're not even interested in hearing the experiences of the millions of unmarried, widowed, and divorced women who are now raising children alone. Unfortunately, that means that stigmas and misconceptions and myths reign supreme in the dating scene. Most men do believe that single mothers, just by way of your parenting alone, are desperate, are down and out financially, that your mental health, it has gone to shit, and that if you need nothing else, you need a man to swoop in and save you. Kevin Samuels wasn't just speaking to men when he continued to reiterate and double down on the disgusting idea that single mothers lose value by way of their motherhood. He was also speaking to single mothers when he continued to reiterate that women with children are inherently less valuable, less attractive, less desirable, lower market value. The suggestion, the thought coming out of the mouth of a black man is laughable, but here we are. And a lot of women bought into that rhetoric and he had more women viewers than he had men. That is so telling. So it is important for us to know that the damage that society has done, that the rhetoric that society has continued to push has also had an impact on us. And until we become aware of it, until we address it, and until we do the work to reverse, to unlearn, to reject all of it, we are simply not ready to move into a dating field where the men have been programmed to see us just like that. Yes, these men totally expect you to show up unhealed and unhappy, unhealthy and unfulfilled. They're expecting you to show up desperate and in total fear of aging into that lonely cat life that men promise that is, is looming in the future for all single mothers. And so desperate dating is a thing and it's a dangerous thing. If we're not careful, we succumb to the same conditioning that empowers men against us. We can totally tap into the energy that says, because I have a child, I should take whatever comes to me because I have a child. I should take whatever attention comes from any man because what man wants to help me raise my child? What man wants to be burdened by some other man's seed? That, 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 that. And before you know it, you are Kevin Samuels reincarnate. You are regurgitating all of the talking points. You were saying all the things and you can't even give account for when or where you started to believe these sick things about yourself. I was one of those women and you know where it led me? right into the hands of a narcissist. I ended up homeless with my child and an intense therapy for narcissistic abuse recovery. Boundaries will save your life, ladies. Let's get into this list. I only have one rule for a really good reason. It umbrellas so many essential things that keep women safe while dating as single mothers. And if you've got boundaries, 
everything else under that umbrella is going to fall right into line. The first thing that having strong, healthy boundaries does as a single mother is it protects your children, ladies. And I'm gonna lose a lot of you right here, but your children come first. You, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, actually I'm not sorry. I'm quite unapologetic about this. In no world, space, or time does a man come into my life and become more important to me than a child that I carried in my body. It ain't gonna happen, Captain. So if that's what you're looking for, if you wanna be the big piece of chicken eater and the big chair sitter in the home, then I suggest you run along, bruh, because that's not gonna happen here. Protecting your children is the most important thing that you can do as a dating single mother, especially in a world where step-parents have an extremely high rate of child abuse, where children raised by non-biological parents have an extremely high rate of child abuse, where children whose mothers are actively dating have an extremely high rate of child abuse. I don't need to continue because the statistics don't stop. But it is of the utmost importance that you ensure the emotional and physical well-being of your children. I don't give a damn how lonely you are, sis. Go get a dog. It establishes a safe environment for your child. And that is your first obligation as a human who has created life. And I will not apologize for that. We know what happens. We've seen it. I'm not even going to name the names of the children who have gone back to be with the ancestors and the angels because mom didn't see fit to set boundaries and establish parameters that first and foremost prioritize the safety of their child or children. Ladies, if you are still in a place where a man comes into your life and he takes precedence over your child, please turn this podcast off and, and get on Google and find a therapist. I can't help you, sis. No matter how much I want to, I know how deep-seated that conditioning is. Women who would feed a grown, able-bodied man before they put a plate in front of their children don't need to be listening to dating advice. Your issues are far more foundational than anything we can talk about here today. There is something scary about women who are so programmed towards patriarchy that your first instinct is to feed and nourish a grown able-bodied man over the most innocent individual in your house. I reiterate, if men still come first to you, turn this off. Don't even tap back in, sis, because episodes two through 100 are going to sound the same. They're going to sound the same to you, baby. They're going to sound crazy because what I am suggesting removes men from the pedestal in your life. You got to take men off of your altar, babes. I know that we were raised hearing that the most important thing you could be was a man's wife, his property. What's there? I know what we were raised hearing. I know what we were raised seeing. I know that as children, we often came second to the men in the room. I was there, sis, I remember. And also, changing things, breaking generational curses, turning the corner as a community requires that we call it the fuck out and we commit to doing different. No man comes first in a house where children are around. And if you're struggling with that, turn this off. Next, 
strong boundaries help single mothers maintain their independence and that so essential autonomy that our grandmothers and our great grandmamas and some of our mamas depending on age didn't get to experience in their own space. It's important for you to have your own interests, your own hobbies, your own dreams, your own ideas, your own goals, and to maintain every last one of them while you date and to safeguard them with boundaries that say any man who would show up suggesting that I put what is essential to me on the back burner and prioritize what is essential to him is not a man that's safe to be in my space. End of discussion. Thank you for stopping by, sir. And next. Mm? Yes, ladies, it should be that simple. If a man feels like you read too much and you need to turn that off so we can spend more time doing what I want to do, babe. Go find a man who likes books instead of trying to change a man who's trying to change you. Do you even hear how that sounds? Nonsensical. It is so important as an independent woman, but also as a single mother that you set up those boundaries to maintain that autonomy because you know what happens when you deal with people who come from a privileged population and it's no different than what we observe across racial lines, racial dynamics. In a space full of black people, a rally full of black people, the one white person in the audience somehow ends up with a microphone, why? Because they have been conditioned to seek center stage and we have been conditioned to give it to them. The same conditioning exists across gender dynamics. Men have been conditioned to show up and take up space, to occupy, to expand. And we have been conditioned in response to that, to shrink, to grow quiet, to subdue ourselves. And so if we don't establish the boundaries to say, hey, I will not shrink no matter who is around me, watch you fold as soon as that fine ass make show up. It is what it is, sis. I'm going to step back and I'm going to reiterate, get you some boundaries. Now, what else? Boundaries help us avoid becoming codependent. And if you have experienced any kind of relationship trauma, you probably got a little codependency that you need to work through. Okay. Now, without clear boundaries, we just run the risk of becoming too dependent on our partner. Healthy relationships are built on mutual respect and support. I help you. You help me. I respect you. You respect me right? I lean on you, you lean on me. But once we start to over rely, right, on the other person, they become our support blankie. Yeah, sis, mm -mm. this is how women end up on snapped. This is how the girls end up on first 48. This is how the girls end up on for my man. Because codependency can be cancerous to a motherfucker. Now suddenly you feel like you about to die. If this man leaves, baby, you will not die. You have felt that way many times before. Look at you still alive. Come on, Savannah. Let's move on, okay? Something else about boundaries is I've learned that it's helped me to prioritize self-care, which has been so essential to my single mother experience. It is really important as a single mother. And in addition to that, I'm a single mother. I'm a special needs single mother. And special needs single mothers, we have stress levels that mirror war combat veterans. No lie. The study says that the rate of PTSD that we experience as a population is on par 
with veterans. That means that it is not only important, baby, it's crucial for you to prioritize your mental, emotional, and physical well-being. And let's add spiritual into that as well. Not only is it good for you, mom, but it is so good for your babies. I am such a better mother now that I am really investing in myself and my self-care. And I'm overly grateful to have a partner who invests in my self-care in the same way. And who is willing to tap in and say, babe, are you taking care of yourself today? How can I help you facilitate that? Do we need a massage? What is this week looking like? Right? But you've got to set your self-care as the priority so that you can choose a partner who comes in and is willing to support you in that space. Otherwise, we come back to the nature of privileged people. They will show up and expand and take up space. And if you're not careful, that means that that every third Thursday of the month when you go and get your massage, mm, you might just cancel one month. You might just miss your standing manicure and you might just mm, reschedule your wax to next month because, you know, new boo wants to do some exciting things. No, ma'am. New boo is going to have to schedule around you. I'm going to need you to be your first boo. And you go ahead and have a poly situation with the new boo. But until you have made sure that you are a priority, don't you expect a man to come in and prioritize your self-care? It will not happen. Next, boundaries are going to help you weed out incompatible partners real clear, real quick, straight like that. Okay, it's going to help you identify people who either respect and understand the responsibilities of a parent or they don't. It's going to help you identify people who are unwilling to accommodate those boundaries and people who will. If I tell you I have an engagement tomorrow morning with my child, we've got to be up early at seven. I'm going to call it a night. You can either respect that and check in with me in the morning or you can violate that boundary. Ignore everything I just said about what I have going on with my child in the morning and call me at 11 just to see if I want to chat real quick. Now, for somebody like me who is is gang gang with the boundaries baby that's an immediate block because i see it as a violation but a lot of women if they're not careful they'll see it as a compliment oh he must really want to talk to me if he's willing to violate my boundary baby that is not how it works ladies this isn't the second grade where we believed that boys violating our boundaries was flirtatious and cute and coy he hits me because he likes me no he hits you because he lacks emotional expression, he doesn't have the language skills, and likely this kind of behavior has been modeled for him at home as the norm. We're big girls now. Violating our boundaries is a no-no. At my age, if you don't understand boundaries very clearly, now you and I have nothing to talk about, similar to consent. I'm not gonna sit as a 36-year-old woman and explain consent to a grown man. It's not gonna happen. We are not compatible, sweetie. Best of luck to you and your future endeavors. And you free that man back to the community, okay? Boundaries help you from the jump, okay? You don't wanna date without him and then try to get him in a relationship. You go into every situation with the same boundaries set up nice and firm. Additionally, they're gonna help you protect your emotional well-being. Oh my gosh. There's a young woman, her TikTok went viral possibly unfortunately 
where she starts out expressing a desire to have a guy kiss her and we follow her through meeting a new guy and expressing interest and sharing a first kiss and somewhere along the way they have a conversation and he explains to her he's not looking for anything serious guess what ladies if you are a boundary should say i pursue partnership with people who are of equal footing i pursue partnership with people who have the same goals the same outlook the same aim all of those things but a woman without strong boundaries says well that's okay maybe his mind will change maybe i'll change his mind wink wink even better (laughs) but who sees we'll let it play out that is one of the worst things you can do and by the end of the tiktok she shares with us that she was love bombed i don't necessarily agree with that because he told her up front he didn't want anything he didn't future fake her like narcissists do and promise you marriage right but boundaries would have protected her from the disappointment of trying to convince a man that he wants what you do if that man says he doesn't want it baby believe him take the oprah approach and believe him okay protect your your emotional well-being don't allow yourself to be bounced around and yo-yoed with and toyed with and also as a mom right you're not just juggling the responsibilities of dating and navigating romantic spaces but you've got to come home and still tap in and be able to put in work when it comes to maintaining your household and and your motherhood responsibilities so it's even more important to shield yourself from the potential of emotional harm and manipulation okay so don't feel bad about cutting these men off because you are not compatible and because they feel unsafe like love yourself enough to not worry about what people feel when you're done with them girl that is not your business anymore anyway let me wrap this up right because boundaries do a lot but i don't want to overwhelm you because i feel like we're just going to talk about boundaries non-stop on this podcast but real quickly boundaries are so important when you are a single mom oh you want to know why girls because you are modeling healthy relationships for your child When you establish boundaries, when you create safe space for your child as a dating single mother, right? You demonstrate healthy relationship dynamics for your babies. Not only are you setting a positive example, but this is like one of the best sources of input that your child can get when it comes to dating, especially in a world where society is bombarding them with shitty information. Let them see up close what healthy, positive, loving relationships look like so that they know how to navigate relationships in the future. Yes, yes. Now moving on, (laughs) boundaries are going to help you maintain focus on your life, on your priorities, girl. Don't you put your shit to the side to help this man get on? What are you doing? And I'm going to come back to For My Man because <laughs> I like that show a little bit. But let's talk about how every episode of that show opens up. Tasha Collier had it all. A degree, a great job as a court reporter, and two beautiful children. She had a family who loved her and friends who adored her. And people say her smile could light up a room. But for Tasha, something was missing. One day, while headed to drop her children off at soccer practice, She noticed a homeless man collecting cans on the curb. When she stopped to offer him two empty Coke cans out of her center console, she realized, hey, Trey Willis from sixth grade, 
It was her old classmate. She couldn't believe the condition he was in. After a brief conversation, she agreed to come back and meet him the next day. So she took her kids to school. Something told her not to wait. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. I'm sorry, y'all really, really giving this my all, y'all. <sighs> so Tasha and whatever his name was, I don't even remember, Mr. Willis, they sat over coffee and bagels and discussed childhood and they laughed for hours, remembering all of the good times. Tasha thought, everybody is wrong about this guy. He seems like a sweet guy at heart and maybe if he had a hand, someone who loved him and would support him, it would change his life. Six months later, Tasha's in jail doing life in prison for murder. And uh, y'all can imagine the rest, okay? We have all seen For My Man, we have all seen the episodes and we know how those shows start. They talk about women who failed to maintain their focus on themselves and their own priorities. Women who allowed romantic pursuits to overshadow everything else they had going in life. And having children doesn't stop women from doing that. If you are not careful, your priorities will shift. I'm going to con continue to bring our attention back to navigating space with privileged people because if you're not careful men in your community will have you convinced that y'all are in it together that y'all are a team that you are on the same side nothing further could be the truth that is not how it works and so you need to understand that while you might share a religion or a complexion with the men in your community or in your space they are still privileged people and being conditioned as a privileged elevated exalted person in society comes with things it comes with things that people just by way of saying them out loud doesn't mean that you can shake them and so yes men will easily come in and destabilize your life we are taught that women multiply and and make things better and turn a house into a home for a reason because men don't they will take that home and turn it into a shack just like that if you're not careful Boundaries are going to help you keep your eyes on what you have going for you, what your children have in front of them. And if a man can come in and add to that, support that, uplift that, wonderful. But you don't get to come in and redirect our focus. You don't get to come in and redirect, sir. Ladies, we have talked a lot about boundaries, but ultimately let's wrap up what this single mother is saying. <laughs> Strong boundaries above all else, they empower single mothers to approach dating from a position of strength, confidence, and self-assuredness, right? If we can't flourish while we're partnered with people, then what good is being partnered with people? And if we can't flourish while being partnered with people and also loving and raising our children, then again, what good, what purpose do these partnerships serve? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Anxious Hour. Our next segment, we're just going to jump right into today's Mind Dive. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, I'm certain that the algorithm will see to it that you do. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, ladies and gentlemen, but it looks like the Black Men in Chelsea Boots Brigade is back on the move. I'm kidding. <laughs> now, look, let's have a serious conversation about these Black Men flash mobs that have been popping up all around the country and been getting 
quite a bit of controversy. Now, when Neandre Broussard founded the menswear movement in 2017 and invited just about every flashy suit owner this side of the Mason-Dixon line to march like Martin all throughout the South, now, for the most part, internet onlookers were supportive. Granted, nobody knew where this harem of hot boys was headed or what they planned to do when they got there. But here were a bunch of black men not doing negative, right? Not harassing passers-by on the street, not bad-mouthing black women or committing random acts of violence or ordering podcast equipment off of Amazon. You know, the knots. And that alone was worth something, right? The jury was still out on the issue. However, Twitter users were ready to chime in. And here's what they had to say. One Twitter user asked just flat out, what is positive about black men in suits? However, another felt like they had the answer, chiming in and saying, a black man in a suit says, I am a professional. I care about my appearance and if nothing else, I am to be taken seriously. Another user felt the same, saying black men do not let anyone discourage you from dressing up and putting it on. Okay, we belong in this country and we belong in corporate America. Not sure what that has to do with the black men's wear movement, but <laughs> another user did not agree. I'm sorry, but I want black men to free themselves from participating in these corny ass flash mobs and wearing suits that look terrible. This is not the positive image we are looking for. And yet again, another user disagreed saying, why do y'all hate seeing these images every time they come up? Positive images of black men are necessary. And random Twitter user isn't actually wrong. Positive imagery is important and for several reasons. Now, positive imagery has the ability to uplift and inspire. It can contribute to a more overall positive, hopeful, optimistic outlook on life and a community in particular, right? Think Barack Obama circa 2008. His presidency was packed with positive imagery, both for black people in America and for America as a nation. I mean, this man was a literal and physical image of progress and possibility around the world. And in many regards, he still is. I reiterate, positive imagery is important and it ain't enough. <laughs> Here was this seemingly sinless man, educated, attractive, charismatic, articulate, inspirational, you name it, proud husband, proud father. Barack has all of the boxes checked, right? Barack's entire presidency was dedicated to shifting the narrative. Yes, and also that didn't deter racists one bit. All of the positive imagery we endured over Barack's eight year presidency did nothing to erase the disparities in education and employment, criminal justice, healthcare, maternal mortality, inner city violence, you name it, right? Because positive imagery, while it might shift our focus, it's not changing people's perspectives or shifting any culture in the long term. Positive imagery is just that, it's an image. That said, the underlying issues, like the ones plaguing the black community, they require a comprehensive approach that involves the input of the people, policy change, community engagement, and ongoing and evolving advocacy efforts. It's not enough to see Baltimore PD playing pickup in the hood. You know, thanks for the imagery, but what else? It's not enough for congressional Democrats to take a knee cloaked in kente cloth. Thank you, Congressional Black Caucus and Nancy Pelosi and everybody else. And guess what? It's not enough. What else? But here were a bunch of black men not doing negative, right? Not harassing passers-by on the street, not bad-mouthing black women or committing random acts of violence or ordering podcast equipment off of Amazon. You know, the knots. 
And that alone was worth something, right? The jury was still out on the issue. However, Twitter users were ready to chime in and here's what they had to say. One Twitter user asked just flat out, what is positive about black men in suits? However, another felt like they had the answer, chiming in and saying, a black man in a suit says, I am a professional. I care about my appearance and if nothing else, I am to be taken seriously. Another user felt the same, saying black men do not let anyone discourage you from dressing up and putting it on, okay? We belong in this country and we belong in corporate America. Not sure what that has to do with the black men's wear movement, but <laughs> another user did not agree. I'm sorry, but I want black men to free themselves from participating in these corny ass flash mobs and wearing suits that look terrible. This is not the positive image we are looking for. And yet again, another user disagreed saying, why do y'all hate seeing these images every time they come up? Positive images of black men are necessary. And random Twitter user isn't actually wrong. Positive imagery is important and for several reasons. Now, positive imagery has the ability to uplift and inspire. It can contribute to a more overall positive, hopeful, optimistic outlook on life and a community in particular, right? Think Barack Obama circa 2008. His presidency was packed with positive imagery, both for black people in America and for America as a nation. I mean, this man was a literal and physical image of progress and possibility around the world. And in many regards, he still is. I reiterate, positive imagery is important and it ain't enough. <laughs> Here was this seemingly sinless man, educated, attractive, charismatic, articulate, inspirational, you name it, proud husband, proud father. Barack has all of the boxes checked, right? Barack's entire presidency was dedicated to shifting the narrative. Yes, and also that didn't deter racists one bit. All of the positive imagery we endured over Barack's eight year presidency did nothing to erase the disparities in education and employment, criminal justice, healthcare, maternal mortality, inner city violence, you name it, right? Because positive imagery, while it might shift our focus, it's not changing people's perspectives or shifting any culture in the long term. Positive imagery is just that, it's an image. That said, the underlying issues, like the ones plaguing the black community, they require a comprehensive approach that involves the input of the people, policy change, community engagement, and ongoing and evolving advocacy efforts. It's not enough to see Baltimore PD playing pickup in the hood. You know, thanks for the imagery, but what else? It's not enough for congressional Democrats to take a knee cloaked in kente cloth. Thank you, Congressional Black Caucus and Nancy Pelosi and everybody else. And guess what? It's not enough. What else? It wasn't enough for Martin Luther King. It wasn't enough for Malcolm X. Both of these men died while wearing suits. I'm sorry, were unalived while wearing suits. It wasn't enough for your granddad. It wasn't enough for your dad. It's damn near not enough for you. Suits don't shift perspectives. No one has a narrative that black men can't dress. There are no narratives that say black men look poor and paisley. Where that's not, <laughs> there are other narratives that I would love us to redirect our focus, right? And I think that they are more pressing and, and deserve a more immediate response than whether or not black men look good in green. You do. And let's be really honest, in order to shift a narrative, you've got to acknowledge what that narrative is. So what is the current narrative in this country or community at large as it pertains, nope, 
And let's be very clear, in order to change or shift a narrative, you've got to be really clear about what the current narrative is. And what is the current narrative surrounding black men? Well, let's talk about it. And I don't want anybody to get offended here. We are just talking about narratives, right? Well, we could start with criminality. The idea that black men are more likely to commit crime, we can talk about aggressiveness. That black men are prone to aggression is another assumption. Uh, absenteeism, that the black men are perpetual baby abandoners, that they are uneducated, undereducated, or less likely to pursue education at all, that there is a gross lack of ambition plaguing the majority, that there is a hypersexuality to this community, an exaggerated, uncontrollable sexual drive, um, and furthermore, that there is a cult-like approach to blackness. It's kind of packed in with this sexism and, and misogyny kind of thing, and it brews this attitude amongst black men that it is them and them only or them first and that everyone around the surrounding members of the community must exist in support and in servitude to them, right? That is the current narrative, whether black men like it, embrace it or not. Now that said, good cops don't undo the damage caused by decades of institutional oppression and men in feathered fedoras don't undo centuries of sexism, massage noir and intercommunal violence. Contrary to popular pushback, much of the communal criticism is in fact warranted, if not all out righteous. I'm about to draw multiple correlations between the black menswear movement and the fraternal order of the police. So listener's discretion is advised. <laughs> and you're thinking, what in the hell do a bunch of black men in chocolate chip suits have to do with LAPD? So let's start there. A bunch of uniformed officers aren't randomly rallying around your nearest Dunkin' Donuts by happenstance, right? In the same way that a bunch of black men in Bible wear aren't randomly lining up outside the, the Falcon Stadium, you know, the fraternal order of police, much like the black menswear movement, they are what we call a social institution or a service organization to be more specific. And service organizations are essentially entities established for the purpose of providing specific services or benefits to individuals, communities, causes, things like that. These entities operate under a mission or a purpose. And that mission or purpose centers around addressing a particular need, once again, um, contributing to the betterment of society or the particular community that they serve, right? So let's quickly cover the other criteria because there's more to being a service organization. Now, one, you're not in it for the money. Yes, all right, there might be some profit, but you are not totally for profit. Two, your primary focus is on benefiting a specific group of people. Three, there is an expectation of accountability and transparency, again, because you are in the business of serving others. And finally, there is some sort of measurable impact that people should be able to come back to and say, hey, this is the organization that we're looking at. This is what they expressed to us was their purpose in being a part of our community. And over the last 12 months, this is what we can see that they've done. And now let's assess whether or not their actions have actually matched the purpose and or mission that they have presented to us as a community, right? I'm talking a lot, but you guys follow me, right? <laughs> so 
whether you name, let's see, Doctors Without Borders or Habitat for Humanity, let's think of some others, Amnesty International or your local Boys and Girls Club, um, Planned Parenthood, and once again, your local police. These are all social organizations, service organizations, and they are subject to public scrutiny, full stop. The Black menswear movement is no different. Now, if you're doubting that the Black menswear movement is in fact a social organization to begin with, let's revisit the words of the founder, Mr. Broussard. Now, if you're doubting that the Black menswear movement is in fact a social or service organization at all, well, let's revisit the words of Mr. Broussard and refer back to their actual website so that we can get some clarity on the issue. According to the Black menswear website, and their purpose is public, uh, they've stated that their mission is to change negative narratives, build community through connectivity, and foster economic growth for Black creators. They go on to, to refer to themselves as a cultural impact agency that specializes in flash mob photo shoots, um, that they are a traveling collective that brings Black men together, suited and booted, to create culture-shifting viral content. Again, they go on to say that they champion the positive stories and actions of the black community. Emphasis on the black community. Now, listen, honestly, after doing my research and really scouring through the social media platforms and the websites and the interviews, my heart really goes out to these guys. From everything I could gather, this is nothing more than a group of guys who really love wearing suits. Neandre Broussard, who is the CEO of the menswear movement, really appears to be a well-intentioned guy who had the urge to link up, line up literally with a bunch of other brothers with an equal appreciation for sensational suit wear. <laughs> that appears to really be what Mr. Broussard started this movement to be about. From everything I could gather, Neandre just wanted to walk around in a three-piece suit and head home. But once the internet started asking where these black men were headed, here comes all of the mission statements, right? Here come the movements. Here come the I have a dream colored suit speeches and community proclamations. Most of this could have been avoided if black men would just make space for hidden diversity. And this is a concept that recognizes that even in communities where most of the members share common characteristics, there can still be a variety of beliefs and backgrounds and perspectives and experiences and different interests. It's, you know, if you enjoy hiking, camping, rock climbing, etc., you know how quickly someone who with the same complexion as you has called those interests white. We are completely committed to diversity when it begins and ends with our literal blackness. Anything beyond that, and suddenly, we're not nearly as open-minded as we think. I wish for everyone involved that Neandre and his friends would have simply stated, hey, we're black men who truly enjoy suits, okay? We like fucking suit wear, we like seersucker, we like silk and suede, it, it, we like fabrics and patterns and colors, and that is okay. We don't need to put fists up behind it for it to mean something. It can mean something to us and, and that can be the long and short of it. We're not about to save your city. We can barely save ourselves. Here's what will be it too and you can show up if you want to, but instead, a couple of colorful candidates have now morphed into a movement, a community organization with a purpose and a mission, but no real plan as to how to make it all happen. And it is solely because of this branding that the black menswear movement 
is actually susceptible to the scrutiny that it is receiving. If you claim to be a movement meant to elevate the community, the people have a right to inquire about the plan, right? If you claim to be a movement that's dedicated to shifting the culture, the culture has a right to ask when, where, and how said shift is supposed to happen. If you claim to be a movement that is dedicated to changing the narratives, the protagonists of the story have the right to ask the sea of suits, how do you plan to accomplish this goal? It is not anti-black to ask community organizations to be accountable, guys. That is not what that is. They claim to represent the community. Therefore, the community gets to say, okay, how are you representing us in the long, right? Not just in the short term. When you take off the suits, how does the community benefit from it all? Okay, and in fact, this line of thinking is flat out dangerous. We've seen what happens when well-intentioned organizations bypass community accountability on the basis of let them just do their best, right? Without being bothered. We are all too familiar with turning a blind eye on the basis of be glad they're in here instead of outside robbing your relatives, right? On the basis of fuck what you really need, just focus on what's not happening to you, right? It, it, here's a black man not beating your ass. Shouldn't you be grateful? I don't know, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I, the bar is, is truly a saloon in hell. I, I don't know if the story of the Black Panther Party has taught us anything, but it should have. Because in that movement was a ton of intercommunal violence, abuse, oppression, and it was all kept under wraps in the name of we should be above intercommunal critique because we are doing good. Focus on the good or at least focus on we say our plans for good include. It's about accountability. It's about effectiveness and transparency. It's about changing needs and strategic planning and measurable and meaningful impact and the prevention of mission shift, which I think is paramount. Mission Shift looks like the Crips, who started out, legend has it, as an organization designed to protect their community from violent gangs. Ultimately, they became a violent gang themselves. The Mafia would be another great example. It's about preventing a waste of resources and ethical issues like the abuse of funds, and most of all for me, potential harm to the intended beneficiaries. Food banks not feeding hungry people, right? Police not protecting and serving. Churches preying on parishioners. We all know how important it is to be critical of community and social organizations. Habitat for Humanity, anyone? Uh, Boy Scouts of America, anyone? My generation? <laughs> American Red Cross, World Health Organization. We are well aware of the harm that can be done in the name of good which leads me to believe that this isn't about organizational accountability at all. It's about a refusal to criticize the well-intentioned black man. And if my theory is correct, that this is not about a sensitivity to the organization, but instead a sensitivity to seeing black men held accountable, then we've got bigger issues. We've got way bigger issues. I say that because things are getting worse for women. It's time for us to really be honest and face the facts. And that's just not here in America, that's around the world. Now, around the pandemic is when I think 
people really started to take notice because we saw domestic violence reports soaring. We saw the number of men accused of killing their wives and girlfriends doubled in multiple counties around this country. And one report put out by the World Health Organization indicated that the most commonly experienced form of violence um, is also preventable. So it's not like it's the boogeyman in the alley. It's actually the guy that you share the bed with. It's your intimate partner, right? Domestic violence is killing women. And lockdowns really shined a light on femicide increasing around the world. And we're talking from Mexico to South Africa to the UK to China to Quebec, everywhere. Um, this was an alarming reality check that we all needed to have. Now is not the time to be dealing in delusion and circling the wagons around a group of men who are in fact responsible for the gross majority of the pregnancy deaths occurring in this country when it comes to black women. Yes, look it up. <laughs> it is homicide leading the causes of death for pregnant black women in this country. So these conversations do need to be had. Is that what happens after you put on your flashy suits? When you sit down and host your podcast, which shout out to the menswear movement they also have up on their YouTube. But are you having the conversations that benefit the community or are you talking to these men about how to hustle LLC Twitter type stuff? Because yeah, that's not enough. That's not enough. When a portion, statistics say a good fraction of the men who lined up to show us their yellow lapels also went home and put hands on black women and children. Are you dealing with that? And if you're not, if you're not dealing with the fact that the world is becoming a lot more violent for black women, for your daughters, your mothers, your sisters, your grandmothers, there was just a woman in Houston, Texas who was hit in the face with a brick because she refused to give a black man her phone number. And black men responded to that by doxing this woman, sending death threats to her son's school, accusing her of making this story up for financial gain. It was NBC News that finally published an official story after they had reached out to Houston police. Guys, this is ridiculous. It's not a myth that black fatherlessness is as high as 67% in this country. That is not a myth. Let's be very honest. It's not a myth that over half of all homicides are intimate partner violence in the black community for as it pertains to black women specifically. That's not a myth, right? Over the pandemic, homicides in this country for black women in cities like DC and major cities doubled in many instances. That is not a myth. And furthermore, these random men in leisure wear, they are not your fathers. They are not your uncles. They are not your, your, your sons, unless they are, then that's a different situation. But as far as I know, they're not. So release the grip of groupthink that has you projecting your positive personal experiences onto the larger community's experiences. Cause now you're gaslighting a lot of other women who will stand up and say, yes, I've been a victim. A young girl whose name I will not give was unalived in Croydon, South London. 
just about a week ago by a 17 year old boy and turns out that she was attempting to defend her friend who had dated the young man previously and in the moment was rejecting a flower from him, I believe. That young girl lost her life. Do you think the black menswear movement discussed knife crimes and misogyny while they were parading through the streets in July? I doubt it. So perhaps the issue is not in the fact that these men are lining up in leisure wear, but that they claim they are doing so to change the narrative. When do we change the behavior that created a lot of the narrative? The narrative is not that you cannot dress. The narrative is that regardless of how you are dressed, you appear to be unsafe for us to be around. And many of us are no longer accepting proximity as an excuse for why you degrade, demean, disrespect, and downright endanger black women and children. I think it is wholly unfair to gaslight us into a performance piece in lieu of actual, actual action, right? There are things that need to be done. There are things that need to take place. And I understand it got to start somewhere, but you guys been at this for five years now. Let's get going. <laughs> in closing, if the black menswear movement has nothing else, they certainly have my empathy. And if I could perhaps offer them a simple suggestion, it would be to lean into the community that they claim to represent. Ask the community what it is the community wishes to see. It might just be more black men dressed like banana bread, but on the other hand, it might be literacy programs for black boys. It might be community centers that facilitate conversations for young black men who are struggling with finding their identity, finding their footing in a society that pushes hypermasculinity, pushes misogynoir, and pushes them in a direction that doesn't benefit us as a collective. Perhaps listen to the criticism instead of closing your ears. What can I say? Maybe it's not asking, how does it hurt? And perhaps asking, how does it help? That's today's deep dive, ladies and gentlemen. Let me know what you think. Thank you so much for joining me on this inaugural episode of The Anxious Hour. Yay! <laughs> I truly hope that you found comfort and understanding and just a gang of insight, right? If you enjoyed the episode, would you please consider subscribing? Otherwise, feel free to leave a review or share this episode with someone who might benefit. I will be back next week. Until then, you can find me on all social media platforms at That's Just Aura. And until then, remember, your peace is personal. See you next time.